When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Lay Maurice, Nathan Bear, Stephen Means from Cleveland.com. We are going to get to the tech subscriber votes on our spring game draft. The Nathan Baird team versus the Stephen Means team. Who drafted the better team? We have well over a hundred uh, votes and, and not all comments, but some really good comments on who they thought did a better job there. Again, the, the spring game would have been on Saturday. Obviously, it's not happening on Saturday. If you want to go back and listen to our daily podcasts on Monday and Tuesday, we did the drafts there. The defense on Monday, the offense on Tuesday. You can listen to what Steven and Nathan think about this team and these players and how they built their own rosters. Um, but first, we are going to do a good solid chunk on a really good question from our tech subscriber in the 330. And if you want to be part of this and like be a friend of the pod and get involved and ask us questions and get to vote on stuff, 14 day free trial, 14 day free trial, $3.99 a month after that. If you want to do it, take your phone right now, take it out and just send a text, send something to 614-350-3315 and it'll get you signed up very easily. And then you can ask us something like this. From the 330, who is the most important defensive player other than Sean Wade? Sean Wade, the clear number one pick in the defense draft, Nathan Baird jumped through his microphone to draft him first. We know Sean Wade is great. We know it was a big deal. He came back. Other than Sean Wade, this texter says they are thinking safety. There was a big difference between the 18 and 19 defenses and the safety play there. So if you're thinking safety, maybe you're thinking Josh Proctor, who looks like the guy who's going to start replacing Jordan Fuller there. Steven, not position, because we have a lot of people ask about position groups. And we have a lot of guys on this defense where we're going to expect them to kind of, you know, have multiple guys that matter. But player, single defensive player, other than Sean Wade, who's the most important guy for this 2020 Ohio State defense? It, it probably is Josh Proctor, just because you're the last, you're the last man standing back there and you're the eraser of things. And Jordan Fuller was so consistent the last two years. He was among the leading tacklers on the team. He erased a lot of things. He didn't make a lot of mistakes. No, he wasn't flashy about it, but he did his job very well at a high level. That's, I don't, Josh Proctor is maybe a lot more of a flashy guy in terms of his ability to make plays and do things that might wow a crowd. But 
he can't have moments like the Clemson game. That can't happen where Trevor Lawrence is able to, to any quarterback for that matter, Oregon's quarterback, whoever that may be, is able to take off and beat the one guy, which is probably going to be him for a 60 yard touchdown. Those types of things can't happen because that's something Ohio State defense thrived off of last year was not giving up chunk plays. And that's exa- when your safety isn't reliable back there, you're bound to give up a lot more chunk plays and Clemson took advantage of that. We have seen that at times, right? And it's such a it's such a smart way to look at the defense to think about how big plays kill a defense and that we mm-hmm. did see with the safety issues they had um, in 2018. I mean, Jordan Fuller was pretty good back there the whole time, but they were trying to figure out sort of the second safety position. We saw Isaiah Pryor give up some stuff. We saw how much of a difference it made when Brendan White came in as the second safety in 2018. And that's the thing here, too. Obviously, everybody knows they're playing a single high safety look now instead of two. Um, there was a time Damon Webb in 16 when the Ohio State um, secondary was so good uh, with Denzel Ward and Marshawn Lattimore and Garyon Conley and Malik Hooker and Damon Webb was the other safety. There were times where it looked like Damon Webb got beat because if you're going to try to get a matchup on somebody, he was a solid player, but he wasn't as good as those other guys who were first round picks. And then Damon Webb got better in 17 and you saw how that mattered, right? That when you have a younger safety who's on his way up, they can give up big plays. Um, so I think that's a I think that's a reasonable pick. The, the the part of it though is, would you believe? Okay, well, if something happened to Josh Proctor, and if, again we're talking about a guy, would Marcus Hooker be able to slide right in? Right. That if you you thought that all part of this discussion is about the backup. Um, you know, again, if you believe in Marcus Hooker, then you don't have to put quite as much on Josh Proctor. Nathan, what does does the idea of Josh Proctor, whether he's your guy or not, is that a reasonable choice to you? It's reasonable. I guess I'm not as concerned about what he means as far as potentially limiting big plays. I know that is a part of the safety's job. Um, I think sometimes when big plays happen, um, things are already a problem by the time the safety becomes involved. Um, and I think he's going to, there's going to be some mitigation there. I think he has some big play potential that, as we've talked about before, he has some big play potential that maybe Jordan Fuller didn't have, although I think Jordan Fuller was a great football player too. And obviously had some of those moments too, but um, I think Proctor has some, has some of that in him that will kind of balance out where he may have some weaknesses too. So um I, I'm not as, and again, and also the other thing you say, the the, the fact that um, I think Marcus Hooker is developing into, at worst, a, a a solid second option if they have to go to that. Um, I think I think safety right now. If you took if this if everything were if you took everything about last year's team and kept it the same, except there were no Jordan Fuller and 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 pulled the safety situation ahead one year, I don't think anybody would really be talking about safety that much because I think they're have as, enough confidence in the rest of the secondary. I think it's the rest of the secondary leading into my answer. It's the rest of the secondary that makes safety seem like a potentially even bigger problem. Uh, I, I do, when you look at the Clemson game, though, I mean, there were times when they started pulling Jordan Fuller up mm-hmm. towards the line of scrimmage, and it was Josh Proctor deep. And man, and we saw it enough in 18-2. You get the deep safety to take a bad angle or take a bad step, and you turn 20-yard plays into 60-yard plays in a flash. And it's interesting because of all the guys, if you listed who are the 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 biggest losses for the Ohio State defense off of the 2019 team. I mean, obviously, you start with Chase Young and Jeff Okuda, and then you probably go to Malik Harrison and Damon Arnett 
and, and I don't know where Jordan Fuller fits in there, but, but let's watch this defense give up big plays because the safety takes a bad angle and let's yeah. watch people beg for the return of Jordan Fuller. And it's just hard because Ohio state and, and Nathan, you weren't around for it in 18 and Steven, you, you came in um, through in the middle of the 18 season, but that was, that was such a huge thing, whether it was the Maryland game um, with some bad angles yeah. late, there was stuff early on um, with just passing plays that again, you have a slant or something in the middle of the field where it's like, okay, here comes the safety to make that play. Oh my God, his angle, he took too steep of an angle and now the guy's gone. It almost I'm like giving myself a knot in my stomach. It feels like I think Steven, for people who lived through the eighteen season firsthand, that's so fresh in their minds. They they really do would maybe lean toward how important safety would be because we saw how much it burned that team in twenty eighteen. And how much of a momentum swing those types of plays can be. They almost lost the Maryland. They were a, a, a better quarterback away from losing that Maryland game and not even going to the Rose Bowl. So yes, there's some still some questions maybe at the other two cornerback positions but if they're you're not solid as your last if your last hope is not solid at all unless he's getting a pick or something like that it doesn't really matter what's going on up front because cornerbacks get beat sometimes I don't care how good you are sometimes you get you can be Jeffrey Okuda sometimes you get beat it happens and if there's nobody over the top giving you any type of security blanket well that's probably going to be a touchdown and the other side of that is there's for Ohio State fans it's fresh in their mind what a dominating safety can do. That if you can, if anybody can play 75% of what Malik Hooker was in 2016, Malik Hooker changed games. I mean, Malik Hooker, um, the way he, he went sideline to sideline, the way you, you turn, um, you know, balls that might have been deep completions, not only sometimes do you make them incomplete, sometimes you pick them off. Um, the, the gap between, Excellent safety play and solid safety play is a big gap. And then the gap between solid safety play and bad safety play is another big gap. So the gap between Ohio State safety play in 2016 and Ohio State safety play in 2018 is like Grand Canyon wide. Yeah. And so, um, I, you know, it's I think Hooker mitigates it. Right, because if there's two guys you believe in for one spot, that mitigates it. But also the thing we talk about with Josh Proctor is again not just the idea of can he be as solid as Jordan Fuller is can he start edging towards playmaking ability mm-hmm. that again is is maybe stepping toward Malik Hooker and maybe a way that Jordan Fuller didn't do. And so um, elite Josh Proctor really could make a difference for this team. And and the other thing I would I would throw into this conversation too is that the a guy that was heavily involved in those 2008 safety problems that you mentioned was Jordan Fuller. And the guy who last year was responsible for making that a much more solid position was also Jordan Fuller. And, and in some of it was a scheme change too, obviously where he became the, the single high safety back there. But I, that's, that's kind of what I want to see from Proctor is yes. What, what you guys are saying about the cleansing game is fair and that exposed some things in him. And now he's has, as it turns out, an extra long time to sort of think about that and, 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 and try to improve off of that kind of final performance that he left on the field in 2019. I think that that's the important thing is what kind of jump does he make? I, it's, we keep talking about him in terms of what we saw in flashes last year, both good and bad. Now what gets either exposed or proven in a much wider, much uh, deeper um, uh, 
run on the field. Nathan, I think you've talked about it before on this podcast, but just remind us again, when you did like the candidates for the Marshawn Lattimore Award as like a guy who goes from a backup to a stud um, to like an All-American as a starter, who who were the guys? Was Josh Proctor one of the guys on that list or who was on that list? So yeah, list? It, it's all third-year guys. So it was Proctor, it was um, Seven Banks, it was Taron Vincent. Okay. And... I should know this. <laughs> I did the list. Well, there was a fourth a player on the list. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a few. Taraji Mitchell, one of them? Uh, no, because I did not know. You had um, Nick Petit Frere and, and, and one here, Seven Banks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was an offensive player, yeah. Uh, Taron uh, Vincent and Josh Proctor. Okay. Yeah, that's and why I wasn't thinking, because it was, I did throw an offensive player on there. And um, I do just, think, again, as, yeah, go ahead. No, just uh, of those four, I mean, I would say I think that's a good list, and I think it's a fun list and a, and a good way to look at this team. I, of those guys, I would put Josh Proctor at number one of the yes. guys yeah. most likely ready to do it. I would probably put Proctor one, and then Vincent and Banks is close only because Vincent missed all of last year. If he hadn't missed all of last year, I might put him two, but I'd probably put Banks two, but I think there's a separation between one and two. And that's the thing of, you know, Marshawn, we just didn't know. I mean, Marshawn, yeah. just his hamstrings exploded for two years, and we just didn't know. Yeah. He's a top 100 guy like Vincent. We just didn't know. And then it was like so – Actually, maybe, yeah, Vincent maybe is the best the best argument because yeah. it's the same thing. Like, he's just been out of it. Because who just hadn't had an opportunity to show stuff because he's not on the field. And when you're hurt, I mean, that's the thing at Ohio State sometimes. Because, like, Justin Hilliard was like that. Now, Justin Hilliard's had a little renaissance here at the end. But sometimes when you're hurt, when you start evaluating, you know, what's going to, what it's going to be like with the team, how much can this guy contribute? You just write the guy off. You just have to say, well, I don't know. I mean, he was a big time recruit, but he can't stay healthy. Like, how can you count on anything from him? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, holy moly, the guy's an all American. That is such a, so like, yeah, I mean, if Teron Vincent goes from his arm is in a contraption to, oh my God, he's in the backfield every other play. That is a game-changing thing for Ohio State. Um, all right, Josh Proctor is Stevens nominee, agreeing with the texter from the 330. Nathan, who is your guy who is the most important Ohio State defensive player beyond Sean Wade? So I'll change my answer if you need me to, but because I, I don't want this to sound like a cop-out. But my, my answer is the third cornerback. Because right now the problem is I don't know who that is. Like I feel like it, it could be Cam Brown. It could be Tyreek Johnson. Could be Marcus Williamson. I don't think we have a very good grasp. I know the the spring was so short, but that still to me is a a a much more wide open position than a team like Ohio State. The aspirations that it has is usually dealing with at this I, at, on in early April. I think if that's your rationale, then I think your answer has to be Cam Brown because Cam Brown and seven. I think banks, it, I, that that was the one. If I had to pick one, he would be the one that I picked just because of where he was last year. Because Tyreek Johnson hasn't played. So, I mean, like, we can't – I mean, and he hasn't been hurt either. He just hasn't been good enough to get on the field. Cam Brown actually got out there – when there were injuries last year, he was on the field ahead of seven banks at yeah. times. Mm-hmm. So, it's like now we're sort of – I don't know. I mean, to me, it's like second, third corner. I am just assuming – again, we talked about in the draft, maybe Marcus Williamson ends up starting at slot corner. But if I had to guess right now – the three starting corners are Sean Wade, Seven Banks, Cam Brown. And if I had to say who I feel better about, I guess I would say slightly better I feel about Seven Banks compared to Cam Brown, which then would, to me would put Cam Brown in the spotlight um, as the third corner. But why, why is that? Why are you thinking that way? If we see, Okay, so we're making you put a name on it. It's Cam Brown. Why do you think that's so important? 
I just feel like it's maybe the one position on this team right now where we don't know who has a starting, where we don't know if even the candidates at a starting spot are like front of the Big Ten quality. Because I feel like at right tackle or left guard or running back, I feel like we think that whoever they end up with at those positions is going to be a really good football player. It's just a matter of who wins the the battle. Um, and, and even on the defensive line, I, I think as we talked about um, in earlier this week, I guess it was on Wednesday when we were talking about the, the drive in the bus, we don't know how they're going to rotate those five, six defensive ends, but we think it's going to probably make sense at the end of the day. But at cornerback, again, maybe I'm being too pessimistic about Cam Brown because he did play real minutes last year, but seven banks, I thought had kind of, surpassed him by the end of last season and was also flashing a little bit this spring and again in the very 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 brief uh, ability we had to see him um I just it's and and I think slot is is a is a bit of a different skill set as Sean Wade has shown so I just that's where I think things get really tricky for Ohio State if they don't get a real answer for that third cornerback spot is it the kind of thing that when it's a tight game, one of these upset-minded teams can really exploit that, as we saw it happen just a couple of years ago in a, in a different defensive alignment. Could that be the thing that gets exploited and costs you a game during the regular season? I don't know that I feel that about maybe literally any other position on the field for Ohio State right now. So let's just make sure we're being real, because I don't mean to speak for all of us, so I'll speak for me. The reason that like, I'm higher on Seven Banks is because the one day that we saw spring practice – Seven Banks was like wearing like short tights and his legs looked really <laughs> long and it looked like, wow, that guy looks like a corner. And I think if he had been wearing different pants, all of our opinions of him may have changed, but he just looked like super athletic and like, I wouldn't want to line up against that guy. That guy looks ready to like blanket me in coverage. So I would like to credit Seven Banks' choice of pants wear um, to everyone believing in him because we didn't get to see anything else. We need to do like a Frankenstein pod where we just go and you just assemble your ideal Ohio State football player. We know it's going to be seven banks, like thighs now, I guess. Yes. And Pete, Werner's, Pete Werner's neck. Yeah. Yep. Pete yeah. Werner's neck. Um, and I'm sure there's, I'm sure <coughs> you have other Justin. things that you haven't told us about yet. Yeah. Um, Justin Fields' dancing reasons. ability. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about just actual, like, you're having to, like, assemble, like, like Frankenstein's monster. Like, you have to go out and, like, put a symbol, like a Mr. Potato Head or whatever. Yeah, we'll get somebody on that. Um, Steven, <laughs> this, the, the Cam Brown argument, what, what do you think of that as, as Cam Brown is the second most important guy? I mean, to the point Nathan alluded to, we've seen this, a slot receiver, you know, Ruin Ohio State season before. Now, obviously, KJ Hamler is not at Penn State, and well, he hasn't played Purdue this year, so I don't have to worry about Rondell Moore. But and obviously, I don't know any other off of the top of my head in the middle of April that I'm going to be able to say, "Oh, this is going to be the reason if Cam Brown's not good." But there's a slot corner, a slot receiver out there somewhere who is going to take. If Cameron Brown is not quality level, there's going to be a slot receiver out there who's going to take advantage of that and make Ohio State pay for it. Ohio State's best slot corner is moving outside now. And Cameron Brown has some experience, but he doesn't have the type of experience that the guy who's moving to the outside corner has. And so 
if he's not at least – it's almost the same thing as Josh Proctor, where it's, if he's not at least a quality level, he doesn't have to be, you know, this all-world playmaking guy, even though he that would be very helpful for this team. If he's not at least quality level, there's, there's a, whether it's Iowa, whether it's Nebraska or whoever, there's a guy out there, some slot receiver, who's going to take advantage of that. And I will say, um, and it's a point that I think is is needs to be – we need to be reminded of and, and listeners and fans need to be reminded of is that even these great elite players who develop into all American quality guys and develop into potential first round picks, they aren't always all Americans the first time they get to play. And to be honest, in 2018, when Sean Wade was playing the slot, he gave some stuff up. I mean, Rondale Moore, when Rondale Moore was like slicing and dicing Ohio State in 2018, like Sean Wade was on him. Sean Wade was on KJ Hamler when he like made a big play. Now, to your other point, Stephen, that corners give stuff up, and especially in the slot on two-way routes, yeah. and if you don't have the right kind of help and your safety isn't there for you or a linebacker isn't there in the middle of the field to help redirect a guy, you can get hung out to dry, and it's not really your fault. But I think Sean Wade made a leap from 2018 to 2019 and the kind of player he was, and it's not a criticism that he wasn't an All-American the first time he started. He redshirted in 2017. He was hurt. He had never been on the field before in 2018. So part of this, too, is, you know, I mean, Cam Brown, if, if Cam Brown's the guy in the slot or whatever, also, even if he won the job and he's a good player, he's not going to be perfect right away, probably. Sean Wade wasn't perfect right away. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't think what I'm – what kind of that standard I was setting before, I think, like, top of the Big Ten starter quality doesn't mean perfect. But it also just means not getting exposed the way they were in 2018 at multiple positions, that sort of thing. Right, right. No, I agree. I agree. So I think that's a good pick. I think we have two good picks so far. And, again, I I really like talking about the defense for this team um, because there are so – because they're right in this perfect thing of they have so many highly rated recruits who haven't played before. So there's a lot of unknowns coupled with a lot of potential. Um, here's my guy. And I will admit this started happening to me in the last couple of weeks on this podcast. I think I, I think I have changed my thinking. I have changed my thinking, um, on one of these guys. And it was at one texter in particular who really, I think sort of called me out individually and just thought that I was sort of analyzing this guy in the raw, in the wrong way. And I think they were correct. I think I was analyzing this guy in the wrong way because I don't think he's done anything at Ohio State to knock him off his upward curve, that he is probably right on track with with what you would expect him to be. And so I'm going to say Zach Harrison. And here's why I'm going to say Zach Harrison. Ohio State has had a first-team All-Big Ten defensive lineman for 10 straight years. And I may have used this stat before. The last 10 years, these are the Ohio State first team, all Big Ten defensive linemen. Chase Young, Draymond Jones. In 2017, it was Nick Bosa and Tyquan Lewis. Tyquan Lewis, Joey Bosa, Joey Bosa, Noah Spence. In 2012, it was Jonathan Hankins and John Simon. John Simon, Cam Hayward. That's a decade of first team, all Big Ten defensive linemen. When you get pressure, when you have one guy who draws double teams, when you have one guy an offense has to plan for, it frees everybody else up. They have had that. In 2016, they didn't necessarily have that, but they had four NFL defensive ends all at the same time in Nick Bosa, Tyquan Lewis, Sam Hubbard, and Jalen Holt. So they've either had this 
elite individual defensive end, whether it's Abosa or Chase Young, or they've had this incredible group. And in 18, Draymond Jones was an all Big Ten first team guy in 2018. He was a defensive tackle. Once Nick Bosa got hurt, he became their best pass rusher. But also, if you remember 2018, the defense sucked. Mm-hmm. And if Nick Bosa had been there the whole year, getting pressure from the end spot, drawing double teams, blowing up plays, I think it would have changed. A, I don't think it. Everybody thinks it. It would have changed a lot for that 2018 team. And so what you saw partially with that 2018 defense was this is what happens when you don't have a first-team All-Big Ten defensive end rushing the passer and getting in the quarterback's face. And guys have time. Now all of a sudden your coverage doesn't look as good. Now all of a sudden your safety angles matter more. So if I'm, if to me, who's your first-team All-Big Ten pass rusher? Probably at end, but even if it's a tackle, who is it? Because I think you need it. So yeah. who is it? We talk about there's a group of guys. Great. There's a group. We all say Tyreek and Zach are kind of ahead. They're the first two guys you think of. We expect them to be the starters. But who's going to be the guy that's going to change offensive plans to be a great team, to be a playoff team, to be a national championship team? I think they need that guy. I think they've become accustomed to having that guy. So who's the most likely candidate to be it? I think now, I might have said Tyreek Smith three weeks ago, Zach Harrison is on the trajectory, and maybe I've underrated his trajectory. He's a top 20 national recruit. He played as a true freshman. He's learning from Larry Johnson. I think he is the best chance to be the guy, and they need someone to be that guy. Nathan, what do you think of that argument? No, I think that makes a lot of sense, and I actually almost picked Vincent kind of along the same thought process that Ohio State may not be able to summon the same edge rushes that did last year, but if we get some more out of the middle, and maybe he's the kind of guy that can give that, then maybe that's enough of a wrinkle that it gives teams problems in a, in, in a new way. Um, but, no, I think you're right. I mean, we, we talk so much about the secondary with this team without spending enough time probably talking about the, the pass rush and how those two things work hand-in-hand, hand. and both of them lost significant pieces, obviously, from last year. Steven, how about that vote for Zach? What do you think? I think so. Yeah, just because if, if he's probably on the trajectory to do so and see some of the points you just named, yet when you have a guy like that who is a bit of a game wrecker, a lot of that other stuff ceases to matter a little bit. So I, I, if, if you're going to put a name to it, it is Zach Harrison. But the idea of just in general having a guy – I think it's, I personally think it's probably Tyree Smith just because he is in year three of a guy who probably needs to take that step. But Zach Harrison's probably the safer bet of being on trajectory to be that. Yeah. And it could be, again, sort of all of us, right? I mean, it's like, you know, they need a safety who doesn't give up big plays. It's probably Josh Proctor. It might be Marcus Hooker. Um, they need a third corner to step up and make sure they're not getting burned in the slot. It might be Cam Brown. It's probably Cam Brown. It might be Marcus Williamson or somebody else or Tyreek Johnson. They need someone to be a great pass rusher. It, you know, I say Zach Harrison, it might be Tyreek Smith. It might be Jonathan Cooper. Like all these things we're naming guys who are the most likely, but we can see they're just accustomed to having high level play at all these spots. And we just don't have a lot of guarantees on this defense right now. So the three, three Oh, great question. We love when the when the texture questions aren't just things that we can talk about. It's a thing we can like hang a podcast on. So that was really good. 
We're going to take a quick break and come back with the text subscriber votes on our Nathan versus Steven draft. We will talk about the best picks there and what those rosters might have looked like. We even have some text subscribers predicting a final score of the spring game. We'll be right back with all that on Buckeye Talk. Back on Buckeye Talk, the results from the texter vote. We are still in the midst of our text voting on the favorite modern football Buckeye. Uh, we are in the second round, uh, this, the second group of matchups in the Sweet 16, and I will tell you, people are voting right now. There is a James Laurinaitis two-seed versus Mike Doss three-seed matchup in the Jim Trestle defense region. That is a literal toss-up right now. I think it might be a one- or two-vote margin. Um, from what I've tallied in the early voting. So if you want to be part of that, if you want to ask us questions, again, try the text 614-350-3315. Let's get to some of these comments we got about the Nathan and Steven draft. Did the offense on Tuesday, did the defense on Monday from the 330. Nathan in a route. Steven's drafting of the O-line has me yelling at him. Don't pick your tackles when Nathan already has his. Wait till the end. Um, from Good the eight, from the eight one three, I lean towards Nathan. I think there is more explosion on that side of the ball. However, there is one area of major concern I have for Nathan's squad that could be their undoing. Tough Borland is on his squad. God, how what is up with that? I also had we, there's just a lot of Tough Borland discussion on this podcast. Uh, I had someone else someone else texted in the other day about the JT Barrett Tough Borland comparison that we made recently and they were like very angry about that because they're like JT Barrett is like the the record-breaking quarterback of Ohio State football like what are you talking about using that as a tough Borland comparison and while Steven made the comparison and I was gonna make the comparison and I think there are a lot of ways it's a fine comparison and a smart comparison also yes good point texter like that that is one of the things that um, I have found through this little tangent on this one of the things that has happened because the other voting that is going on right now in the second round of the Sweet 16, there's the Jim Trestle defense, there's the Urban Meyer offense. JT Barrett is going up against Ezekiel Elliott in a Sweet 16 matchup, but JT Barrett vanquished Cardale Jones in the uh, previous round. Four seed JT Barrett beat five seed Cardale Jones. I think there's a like a squeaky minority of fans who were like tired of JT by the end who thought oh, – that JT Barrett held back the Ohio State offense. Through this voting, I have come to realize there are a lot of Ohio State fans who love JT Barrett, who think he was a great quarterback, a great leader, a huge winner. He kicked Michigan's butt, and I have sort of enjoyed that. The, the reminder that a lot of Ohio State fans happen to love the guy who has every quarterback record in the book. Steven, what do you think of that? reminder that the voters are giving us that yes JT Barrett was good he was decent but I think a lot he was also the quarterback here for a long time in a playing at a school where quarterback records are probably pretty easy to break because Dwayne Haskins came here and shredded him in, in 14 games so yes he holds a lot of career records but that to, career records to me means you just did something for I don't for a long time somewhere so I don't put that much stock into those things. So you are so so here's the thing. I'm telling you a lot of fans like him and your answer is he still sucks. Oh, he sucks. You. No, but your your whole answer I'm telling you what do you think of the fact that all these fans still love him and you're like, yeah, whatever. 
This is what the fans think. It's not up to dispute. There are people pouring out their hearts for JT Barrett. You're giving the same line about JT Barrett that we have given on this podcast a lot, which is like he was fine, but he's not that good. I'm telling you, man, people disagree with, and I'm kind of a little more toward you, what you're saying. What I'm telling you is people disagree with you. I don't, I don't want your opinion. What do you think of the fact that, are you surprised by it? Yes, I am shocked that this many people are still in the corner of JT Barrett. So it's a good reminder for us. It's a good reminder for us. There are a lot of loyal, diehard Ohio State fans who like good players and do not necessarily, especially when they're gone, like do not hold their faults against them. They embrace their their positives. So that is a nice uh, reminder about JT Barrett. From the 941, vote for Nathan. Nathan's O-line is a big reason. Team Nathan gets my vote. That came up a lot. And again, Nathan, you went Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers with your first two picks on offense after Steven started off with Garrett Wilson. A lot of people liked the way you built your offensive line. Does did you figure that? That also, you know, you're trying to build a good team. You're also trying to appeal to voters. What do you think of the idea that your offensive line is bringing you some love? Well, as as the first texture that you read alluded to, I I think yeah, my offensive line is really good. I think what threw things off, and I said it on the the podcast, and we didn't come back to it, was that Steven, after I took the two tackles, then he felt like he had to take tackles without thinking, yeah. oh well, now tackle. Tackles just X out. I can take those as the last two guys. He could have probably swung things back in his direction by going at a different position right there. Um, maybe loading up on, maybe he could have got Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Julian Fleming or something like that, like all three together. And that would probably have flipped things in some people's minds, but um, he didn't. So uh, my strategy worked. I'm, uh, I'm going to give my sort of like Mel Kuyper breakdown at the end here. I have my best picks and worst picks of the draft and where I think things uh, swung for both you guys. We'll get to those, and then we'll get to the final tallies. From the 614, I'm going with Nathan, even though I believe C.J. Stroud is the better quarterback, and that's who Steven has. Nathan's offensive line and wide receivers are overwhelmingly better, and his defense is good enough to get the job done. From the 502, Nathan wins comfortably. I think you can argue Steven's defense and quarterback might be better, but he has a much worse offensive line. In these games with limited contact, the team that can pass more efficiently usually wins. And if C.J. Stroud is still learning the offense and has to run for his life all game, I don't see how his offense even ends up looking functional. 262, from the 262, Steven's offensive line is meh. Steven's defense looks strong. Nathan's offense looks elite. Nathan's defense is on par with Steven's. Nathan wins. From the 804, I think Nathan's team would prevail. That O-line could control the line of scrimmage and grind down the D with a ground game and good, good pass protection. I like Steven's D, but I don't think it's good enough to stop them. This was a fun exercise and acted as a good evaluation of the team. The Buckeyes have a ton of talent. From the 734, Steven by a hair. This is really difficult. Very good drafts on both sides. Maybe the Stroud-Teague pairing puts Steven over the edge for me. The defenses would be even in my eyes. So Steven has C.J. Stroud, Master Teague as his backfield. Nathan has Jack Miller, Trey Sermon as his backfield. From the 3-1-0, I can't pick the better team because the depth of talent at Ohio State is almost embarrassing. After looking at Steven's team, I was convinced I'd pick his team. Then I looked at Nathan's team and laughed because he's got a great team too. I think either team might be capable of winning the Big Ten, which ought to be frightening for the conference. I want to dig in this on a little, dig on in on this a little bit. Nathan. If we run through your team very quickly, and then, Stephen, I'll ask you the same thing. Um, I wanted to read the roster, but I don't have it. Oh, here it is. Okay. Nathan, we're running through your team super fast, okay? 
Zach Harrison, Tommy Togiai, Haskell Garrett, Tyler Friday, Justin Hilliard, Tuff Borland, Taraja Mitchell, Sean Wade, Seven Banks, Marcus Williamson, Marcus Hooker, Jack Miller, Trey Sermon, Chris Olave, Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith, Najigba, Luke Farrell, Thayer Munford, Ryan Jacoby, Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis, Paris Johnson. So if we give you Justin Fields, and I will give both you guys Justin Fields, we took him off the board because he's such an overwhelming favorite at quarterback. If you make Justin Fields the quarterback of your team, Nathan, do you think your team would win the Big Ten? Uh, I think it might. Yes, I think it. I think it might if you have Fields there. I don't think with the freshman quarterbacks that no, team and that's not the Penn State. So we just did the Justin Fields thing as a wrinkle for the game. So we're yeah. talking about half of Ohio State's best players and their quarterback. You get the good quarterback, and then you get half their best players. I think. I think with Fields, yes. Steven, let's run through Steven's team real quick. Tyreek Smith, Teron Vincent, Antoine Jackson, Jonathan Cooper, Baron Browning, Dallas Gantt, Pete Werner. Cam Brown, Tyreek Johnson, Legend Cavazos, Josh Proctor. C.J. Stroud, but again, we're replacing him with Justin Fields. Master Teague, Jamison Williams, G. Scott, Garrett Wilson, Jeremy Ruckert, Dewan Jones, Gavin Cup, Harry Miller, Matthew Jones, Nicholas Petit-Frere. Steven, could your team, quarterback by Justin Fields, win the Big Ten? I think I can win the Big Ten. Justin Fields is that good. To it, it, I, I call, My interior line might have some deficiencies with Gavin Cup and Matthew Jones, but Justin Fields is – talented enough to make up for those deficiencies i think so i think that's the main thing as long as your offensive line is good enough right as as long as your offensive line is good enough and it's hard for anybody to go 10 deep i mean it just so happened the way it went you know nathan has four of the four of the best five offensive four of the best six offensive linemen are on Nathan's team, the way you guys went strategically. But there's enough depth at receiver. There's enough depth on the defensive line. You know, cornerback is a little bit of a question. I mean, you know, you take Sean Wade out of there, I'd be a little worried about the secondary maybe. But I do think if the point is half of Ohio State's team is good enough, they'd they'd at least like – they'd at least win like nine or ten games, right? I mean, like – with, with yeah. Justin Fields in there, he makes up for so much. I mean, my God, it's it's like okay, well maybe they'd go seven and two in the Big Ten, and Penn State would go eight and one, and Penn State would win the East. But like that's crazy. Like it's crazy what we're talking about. But I also think it's realistic. Yeah, I think I think I, I, I'm not sure that I would pick Stevens' team with Fields to go into Penn State and win, um, or maybe even on the road at at Oregon. I think there is enough question about the offensive line and whether they would be able to actually produce a balanced offense against the best teams in the country. But I do think it, it says, you know, what, what this team, it, it does kind of maybe reframe what this team is capable of. If you think half of it could go and compete for a, a, a major bowl in the big 10. And again, the the issue Oh, and we don't no, we don't make any apologies for this. Ryan Day understands it. Urban Meyer understood that. That's not the that's not the context. Right. Can can you win the Big right. Ten? Is not right. the, the context. It's can you beat Clemson and Alabama and Oklahoma mm-hmm. and Georgia and LSU? And so they get. But, the, but this but this kind of reframes why that. that's yeah. This kind of reframes why that's still realistic for this team regardless of last year's losses. I do think so there's not where I think the uncertainty with this team is the sure thing elite guys on the top, right? Cuz it's like you've got 
Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers. You've got Justin Fields. You've got Sean Wade, right? You've got those guys, Chris Olave, right? You have some, you know, five or six guys that you know are awesome. Then there's a bunch of guys. There's probably like 40 guys that can be good. You're just not sure. So I think this team is deep with potential, but perhaps a little light on sure things when you start taking Chase Young and Jeff Okuda and Malik Harrison and guys like that out of the mix. But I do think it's a reminder of how deep they are. And again, Indiana and Purdue and Illinois and Rutgers and Iowa and Maryland and lots of teams would kill um, if they could just trade their whole team for half of Ohio State's team. 937, dang, at first I thought Steven's team would dominate until I got to the O-line. I think Nathan's team would have a slight edge. Dewan Jones would have to step up huge, blocking Zach Harrison. Uh, for that true freshman quarterback. From the 3-3-0, I'm going with Nathan. At first, I thought Steven had a very stout defense, but Nathan's offense looks unstoppable. Great drafting by Nathan. From the 6-3-0, I vote Nathan. Defenses are pretty darn even. I'm guessing C.J. Stroud um, may be slightly better, but Nathan's offensive line is the best unit for both teams, and that can win six out of ten games right there. From the 4-0-8, give me Team Nathan 27-13. to Team Steven over Team Steven, the offensive MVP is Sermon. The defensive MVP is Taraja Mitchell. The special teams MVP is Chris Olave. I certainly appreciate people playing out a fake game in their head. From the 4-1-2, um, slight edge for Nathan's defense over Steven's defense. Significant edge for Nathan's offense over Steven's offense. Uh, they go through this whole thing. I've got Nathan winning 35-21 and controlling the game from the start, but never fully putting the game out of reach. A late Sean Wade pick six seals the deal as Stroud starts to get desperate. From the 615, Nathan is a minus seven favorite. So I also like setting a line on a fake game that's not going to happen. Nathan minus seven. From the 214, Nathan wins big, best O line by far. Uh, again, the offensive line is really what is kind of winning the day here. Uh, Steven from the 773, Steven simply because of the neck. So Pete Werner by himself swings it for Steven. From the 614, wow, I know Nathan thought he killed it, but Steven is going to win, and here's why. Nathan's linebacking core is going to get his team destroyed. Jeremy Ruckert, Jamison Williams, and Garrett Wilson are going to tear the middle of the field apart. I would describe Steven's offensive line as underrated, but it won't matter. Stroud will only need about 1.5 seconds to hit those crossers over the middle and watch those receivers burn that slow linebacker group all day. On the flip side, as good as Nathan's offensive line is, Steven's D-line and linebackers, as well as Josh Proctor, are going to bring some serious heat and exotic blitz packages. Jack Miller doesn't have enough mobility to escape that and take advantage of the somewhat suspect secondary on Steven's team. I honestly see this as a 42-20 type game in favor of Steven. That's from our guy, Alan Kitchen. Steven, what do you think of that? Alan Kitchen, you are a genius. You really uh, thought that through. He really yeah. did. That was that was some hardcore analysis. Uh, he's got some, and he's got some points. It's I think uh, yes, obviously Nathan. When you look at it on paper, has a better offensive line. But why are we assuming that the co coaches aren't going to adapt to the talent that's on the roster the way Ryan Day has already done in the past? I mean, the one thing about that is like Nathan's linebackers aren't going to be the ones covering Garrett Jamison Williams and Garrett yeah. Wilson and Jeremy Ruckert. So it's like. Sean Wade and Seven Banks and Marcus Williamson are going to be covering those guys. It's not like Tough Borland is going to be matched up one on one with Jeremy Ruckert. So I get That's it. Right. I got Fort Williams for a reason too. Is one of my yeah. Previous. So, but I do think I mean that that is there are some interesting guys, especially in the middle of the field. Just the way it turned out, Ruckert as the best passing pass catching tight end, Wilson as the supposed number one slot guy. We talked 
in our bus podcast a lot about whether, you know, Jamison Williams might be a down the field guy, but he also might be a catch it short and break stuff off guy too. Mm -hmm. From the 919, Nathan, I was leaning hard for Steven because I like his defense, defense better. Nathan has the DBs and O line and that's likely the difference. Five one three. I'm leaning towards Steven being able to run the ball. So I'll go Steven. From the 816, this is tough, very evenly split teams. I have to take Nathan's team, though. He has three guaranteed offensive line starters, possibly four. Uh, from the 216, Nathan wins big. Steven pulled the classic draft mistake, getting a bunch of skill guys and neglecting the offensive line. From the 813, I'm a few pods behind because of work, so I'm just catching up now, but I almost want to change my pick to Steven's team just over the fact of how much Doug is heckling him. Still got to go with Nathan, though. Those first two picks were excellent. So I like when it's like the Doug is mean vote for Steven, which, I mean, I am mean, so that's a reasonable way to vote. 937, this has been the hardest vote for me to this point. I would pick Steven's defense, but Nathan's offense. Uh, see, I do think Steven has the quarterback advantage and the better of the two skill groups by a slim margin, but Nathan's secondary, specifically Sean Wade, would take advantage of C.J. Stroud's lack of experience. Close first half between the teams, but I say Nathan wins 31-20. From the 4-1-5, Steven has the better defense. Two best defensive ends, two best linebackers, second best corner, best defensive tackle, and the best safety. Steven has the best offensive skill players, too. Answer is Steven. From the 9-3-7, sorry, Steven, but I think Nathan's got this one. If we're talking sheer explosiveness, then Steven has a chance, but I think Nathan is more well-balanced. You are still my favorite under-30 member of the pod, buddy. Um, from the 5-0-3, Mick in Vancouver says, Nathan crushed this. Best team at critical positions on both sides of the ball. From the 4-4-3, two very good lineups. I like Steven's linebackers, but Nathan's defense overall. I think Nathan's team pulls it out. A relatively experienced O-line will give Miller a chance to throw the ball to his plethora of receivers, not to mention a veteran tailback. I see a pick six by Sean Wade as he begins his All-American season. So a lot of good comments, a lot of good votes. Um, Steven, what did you think overall? That I tried to get a good mix of, uh, of responses. Steven, what did you think of hearing all those? I would, I'm not surprised that the, the majority of the people seem to be picking Nathan because of the offensive line. I, I understand that that is – of all the places that there are some differences, that's where Nathan maybe has the biggest advantage just because he's got two returning starters who are probably going to be competing to be All-Americans this year. So anybody, I'm not surprised people picked him because of that. Everywhere else, I think it's from a top to bottom pretty much a wash. Nathan, what did you think of those responses? I mean, I think I I predicted as much as we were drafting those teams. So um, I think I they got it right. I think if we got on the field, things would go a lot differently. I, <laughs> I think um, I, I really respect uh, Alan Kitchen. He's been a a a, a, a um, loyal tech subscriber. He's he's a great participant in what we do. I think forty two to twenty is lunacy. Um, I guess the one thing that surprised me was how many people thought that these, like my three linebackers were so much worse than Steven's linebackers or like that having Jeremy Ruckert instead of having Luke Farrell, all the things being equal was going to swing things a lot or just those little things I think really surprised me because I, I see more balance than that in this team. Jeremy Ruckert's clearly the better tight end than, than, than Farrell is. And that I is think it's more the, that's so here's the thing. You're thing. young and you have the Ari Wasserman gene, which That's is that you think being good is like making big time, like one handed catches. <laughs> like to say that Jeremy Rucker is a much better tight end than Luke Farrell is just like not a true fact. 
they are different. Um, Luke Farrell is a better blocker. Jeremy Ruckert is a better receiver, but they're both really good. And like Ari did the same thing. It's like you get stars in your eyes and I get it. And it's fun. Like that is a fact. Go back and see who they play more. Luke Farrell plays more than Jeremy yeah. Ruckert. Like to say that Jeremy Ruckert is much better than Luke Farrell. If you want to say they're equally good in their own way, that's fine. That is a in factually incorrect statement though. Yeah, if, if, if Stephen, if you actually believe that, then this afternoon you need to write a piece ripping Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson for playing Luke Farrell so much more than Jeremy Rucker and put your name on it. I, I will say in terms of the linebacker discussion, um, I think Stephen's three linebackers are all more athletic than Nathan's three yes. linebackers. That you wound That's up true. with um, Borland and Mitchell, who are both probably middle linebackers at heart, and then Justin Hilliard, who's like a play against Wisconsin linebacker. So yes. uh, I do think you're going to wind up with Court Williams on the field a decent amount of the time. I think you could have gone Kayvon Pope instead of Justin Hilliard. Let me give you my Mel Kuyper picks as I go through the best picks and worst picks in the draft, and then we'll give the final, the final tally and get out of here. Um, best picks, I thought Marcus Williamson in round 17 of the defense uh, for Nathan, I thought was sneaky good as a guy who I think you can have confidence in playing the slot to get him that late. Um, I thought was a sneaky good pick. Um, I thought I thought Steven's best pick was on the offensive side of the ball was CJ Stroud in the 17th round. Nathan, you said your strategy was to let Steven pick the quarterback and take, you know, who was ever left. And we understand that. I think most texters think Stroud's a little better. And I think we've talked about why people think that you, you took Jackson Smith and the Jigba with your last pick before Stroud went. I think if you had gone and just said, I'm going to take the quarterback that most people think is a little bit better. I think if you would have taken Stroud there, a lot of the people who voted for Steven mentioned Stroud. I think you had a chance to take Stroud, Nathan. If you would have taken him, I think you might've really sealed things up a little bit. So I thought that was good for Steven Steven to get Stroud there. I understand saying I'm not going to take the quarterback, but also it's like the most important position on the team. And I think you had an opportunity to just decide who you want rather than taking Jackson Smith and the Jigba in round 15. Especially but in I also, I also just where my, like, your offensive line is clearly better than mine. And the major difference between C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller is the running ability. So if, you're t- if we're taking that away from my quarterback, that it's more of an explanation on not only is my offensive line, you know, maybe a little suspect, but I also don't have a guy who can escape and make plays with his feet if he needs to. I suppose so. I just my biggest thing was I just really don't know that there's that big of a difference between those two guys right now in terms of overall skill. We don't really know that for sure. So that was why I was kind of taking a pass on quarterback and I could load up at other positions. All right. Worst picks um, by Steven. Chris Olave falling to the 10th round was bonkers by both of you. But that Steven went Nicholas Petit Frere, Dewan Jones in rounds eight and nine and left Chris Olave there. Um, was not good, was not good. And I also think Ruckert in round five by Steven was too high when he could have taken Thayer Munford as a sure offensive line starter, and he could have swung the offensive line debate a little bit. As soon as Nathan went Davis and Myers, and then Steven answers with Harry Miller, I would have gone with another offensive lineman and taken Munford, leave Ruckert there, because again, Ruckert and Farrell, I think, are both pretty good. So I think I think to leave Chris Olave that long, I think, was was – the worst mistake though. And then the other really bad mistake, um, as much as people, the main thing that they're digging you for Nathan is your linebackers to let Pete Werner slide to round 11 
Um, you went Togiai and Garrett in rounds eight and nine, and I think you could have gone one defensive tackle there and then been like, well, whether I get Haskell Garrett or Teron Vincent, I'm fine, but I'm going to take Pete Werner. Um, I think letting Pete Warner sit there for Steven was a mistake because if you if you swap out Pete Warner for one of your linebackers, again, that's an area that people are digging you for, and you had a chance to rectify that if you had taken Warner in either the eighth or ninth round. And the other thing, I think Steven once I think Steven taking Tyreek Smith and Baron Browning, I think if Steven had taken Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison as his first two picks and gotten the clear two best pass rushers. Um, I think that would have given him an edge there, not taking Zach Harrison and leaving Nathan the opportunity to get that. I think, Steven, you could have locked down those two pass rushers and swayed a lot of people. But in the end, um, both teams have strengths. Both teams have weaknesses. Um, I will say that if I told you guys that we got 117 votes, not as many people voted on this as vote for a lot of stuff. So we have more than 117 tech subscribers. We got 117 votes. Uh, Nathan um, or Steven, I'll start with you. Um, what do you think the final vote total was out of 117 votes? Steven, your I think case. 117 minus 70. 117 minus 75. I think 75 people voted for Nathan and 42 voted for me. Okay. Uh, Nathan, what is your guess? Uh, I agree with the caller who said that I was minus seven. I would say I probably had about 110 votes in my favor. You think it was 110 to seven? Yes. I'm going to find these rosters at some point in this offseason. We're going to make this happen. <laughs> so Steven thinks it was 75 to 42. Nathan, you I think it, it was 110 to seven? Yeah. I don't care when to, we're at some point in this offseason, someone's going to have these updated rosters and we're going to make this happen. The final vote total was actually 105 to 12. Um, okay. We're making this happen. Yeah. But also, we like being the underdog. This is the classic Stephen Means. This is the Stephen Means pizza thing of like, I don't care what anybody thinks. I believe I can do it. So. It's 105 to 12, and Steven's like, let's get on the field right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Blind faith with no reason behind it is the, uh, is the millennial um, yeah, but final. The, the, the pizza thing just didn't make any sense. That was irrational. I knew it was irrational when we sat down, but I had to, you know, I got in the car. I put the seatbelt on, so I had to drive the car. This is different. I don't think this is that big of a a difference, especially when we're talking about a simulated video game. We're going to make this happen. I'm going to, once a week, I'm going to continue to look for these rosters, and we're going to make this happen. I don't care if it's July. We're going to make this happen. All right, we'll do it. Um, All right, so that's it for our spring game uh, analysis and the Buckeye that needs to uh, step up the most on defense. We'll come back with another Daily Pod on Friday. Again, the spring game was scheduled for Saturday. It's obviously not going to happen. We're doing Daily Pods. Half hour or so, this is longer than that, but Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, our big one on Wednesday, which we dealt with, uh, which Buckeye are you driving the bus for? So make sure you're still catching that big one while you're catching up with the daily ones. Um, We appreciate you guys participating. Drop a review at Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're reading our stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. So for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. (laughs)